another week, another episode, and this one's full of news and discussion, so you'll want to stay tuned for this episode of the Indie Power Report podcast. Alrighty, we are back again. Uh, another episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Not sure why I'm just hanging on to the end parts of words, but I kind of am. So that happens. But that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a desperate ploy to try and drag some extra time out of this week's show because coming off of a two and a half hour long show, which I didn't realize how long it was until I finished editing it and I looked up at the time counter. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is a very long show, but. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but people seem to like it. Plus, it was a really good interview, so I, I got no qualms with that. That's right. Hey, we've got to give the people what they want. More Indie Bowl Report podcast. Yeah, the, the more the merrier, the better. Just That's like right. I'm still working on that YouTube video, which hopefully I'll get done eventually at some point. Maybe. Who knows? You know, keep, keep the people on their toes. Keep them guessing. Exactly. You tell them one date, you release it later, and all's well. Just like all, just like the small talk right now, it's just another desperate attempt to try and, and drag this intro out as long as possible because <laughs> we got all of like three topics today because we don't have an interview. I'm going to be quite honest, I was kind of lazy on trying to schedule one. I'll actually try and get something scheduled for next week though because I know people do enjoy them. I got a couple of uh, supposed big fish, I guess is the way to put it on the horizon that I'd love to get on. We do have some topics. Uh, the Empire League update, I know I mentioned last week. We'll go into more detail this week about it. Uh, I also wanted to revisit the United Shore League update from last week. Did reach out to that league, too, to try and get their COVID plan. have yet to hear back, so if we hear back next week, then I'll update from there, but uh, still waiting to see if I can't get my hands on their 216-page COVID relief plan. I'd actually like to look through that because I'm very curious to see how they plan to reopen everything, but we'll discuss that all in a little bit. And then we just generally are going to talk about the reopening of Indie Ball. Uh, as it appears, some states seem to be on the other end of this first wave. We all know yep. a second wave is going to be coming, but I assume we have at least until September before that really becomes a major threat. Uh, yeah. At least what I'm hearing. So hopefully there's that. Yeah, we've got some some interesting topics this week, and it all kind of revolves around, like you said, that one key point of when do we reopen, how do we reopen. We've you know talked about this a lot, and I mean, there's only not so much else to talk about uh, the last couple of weeks and months, and then, so it's just kind of like clearly the Empire League and and other leagues, like the smaller leagues that can do it in one spot, they might be able to do it. You know, the more I'm hearing of these things, the more it seems at least possible to do it if you're only keeping people in one specific location it seems more possible than a full-out season which would just be very at this point just seems very difficult yeah 100 percent there and i think that's uh, the perfect jumping in point for the empire league talk which for them they they're planning to play this year they say they will play whether it be in new york or in florida now see my my major hang up there is that's assuming again that none of your players get this and at least as far as from what i know with the empire league they didn't announce any sort of a plan to you know house all the players in on like a university campus or in some sort of a development where you could kind of control who's coming in who's going out where they're going Uh, so that that seems to be my major qualm here because if you test them 
And, you know, you keep them isolated and, and all is well. And they're basically just going from living quarters to baseball field and back again. And they're just doing that. Then, yeah, it could work. But my main question is, are you going to have guys which are part of, and I think it's fair to call them a semi-pro league. Yeah. Are they going to, you know, be game for that kind of situation? I know the U.S. Uh, or the U.S. Shore League there, the United Shore League. They are planning on putting everybody in dorms. And we'll talk about them a little bit later on, but I just don't know how realistic it is to keep everybody healthy, which let's be honest, that's the main, that's the main hang up here. If you can keep the players healthy and the umpires healthy and the staff healthy, then the rest will solve itself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you can keep everybody healthy, then you're, you know, you're in really good shape, but it's the issue is keeping everybody healthy. And I'm not sure how realistic that is at this point in time. I just don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it, like you said, to have semi guys who are basically, I mean, these leagues might not be considered semi pro, but I, I, I think they, they probably are. And, and certainly, I mean, I would classify them as that to some degree. And so I think, you know, you've got these leagues that are at, at best, you know, a very low tier professional league and, and probably a semi pro league. And are guys really going to be willing to, to do that? You know, is that something they're going to be willing to do is stay away from their families for all that amount of time while they're living in a dorm room trying to play for this semi pro league? I mean, I don't know if it necessarily will work out. I mean, uh, with the Empire League, talked about in their video and he talked about in the video a little bit uh, you know again it makes sense that they're trying to do it in florida but florida is now having a bounce back right so florida went down but now they're having a little bit of a bounce back i don't know i just think there's so many cases of this and it's the information is so in flux that it's really impossible to kind of gauge what's going to happen next or have any coherent plans moving forward that are concrete because anything can change at any point and i just don't know if necessarily but i think you'd be better off leaving it in new york especially where they are as some of those teams like we talked about the one new team in tupper lake i mean hamilton county up there in the adirondacks and i don't know if tupper lake's in hamilton county but uh hamilton county is one of the counties in the adirondacks and they don't, you know, they're, they're open. They're completely open. So, I mean, you know, or at least they're phase one open. And so you're probably better off doing that than in Florida where, yes, everything's open, but there could be a huge resurgence of cases there. I mean, the same thing does apply, though, for, you know, upstate New York. I mean, it's very possible that they have a resurgence from PS people coming in, especially if they want to try and get their tourism back up and running, which presumably is the main source of their economy. You're going to have people from lower New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, just the general surrounding area all come there. And who's to say, you know, they don't have COVID and that they don't start a new outbreak in that same area. I mean, same thing applies for Florida, too. Like you said, they're starting to get tagged back again. And I'm not sure how their testing is. The testing isn't necessarily a silver bullet, but it does help you get a lay of the land. There's a large hotspot in this area. Let's try and pinpoint where it is. Plus, the contact tracing will help. There's a lot of different elements that will go into trying to figure out where is terribly bad to sh- continue to keep them shut down and where isn't to reopen them. There's a lot that's going to go into that. So there's, I, there's a, a lot, lot of areas that could very easily, you know, flare up again. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of areas that could easily flare up again. And that's the biggest problem with this is until there's some type of treatment that's in place or that can really knock it out without having to go to the hospital or uh, a vaccine, then there's just really no way to control this. And so that's when, you know, that's why we're running into these issues time and time again. So for me, I just think 
most importantly, it's, you know, being judicious about this and being smart about this and player safety, safety of the people who have to work in these ballparks should be paramount to any type of reopening plan. Maybe there's, there are regions. If, they, if you're telling me this is going to happen in Montana, I mean, I think Montana's have like one new case a day, you know, like one, two new cases a day. But if you're talking about that, that's a different scenario, right? Because the population is so low, you could probably get away with it in a place like Montana. But in like Florida and New York, look, New York for a, a certain period of time had the most cases by far of anybody. It was the biggest hotspot in New York City. So, and then obviously Florida, they they took off their uh, some of their restrictions and people were very happy about that. And then a lot of people were concerned about that. And, and you know, it worked and everyone, you know, kind of threw it in everybody else's face. Ah, see, it worked. Our numbers didn't go up, but now the numbers seem to be going up. Again, so I mean, I just think that there's so many variables and moving parts to this that it's difficult to definitively say one way or the other if these seasons are going to happen, even these like really isolated small seasons. Exactly. And that's a, a good point you brought up there where these teams aren't in these low population centers like like a Montana, like uh, West Virginia, because I know they haven't been too, too bad, like some of these more kind of out there places they're in the highly densely populated areas they're in the new york the new jerseys of the of the u.s so it's going to be a problem like you said with florida they're starting to see the numbers climb up because again when you reopen you're not going to see the giant surge until probably about 14 days after you first start reopening stuff that's when you're going to start seeing the numbers start to climb up after about a week of reopening two weeks of reopening it's going to be a constant problem and then you have the issue of you have a bunch of players all traveling from different parts of the country, some that weren't very hard hit, some that were moderately hard hit, and then some that are in the middle of like these giant epicenters of where they're being hit. You could very well have guys that are asymptomatic or have very low-level symptoms, you know, maybe a slight cough, maybe some fatigue or a lingering headache, something as simple as that. They don't think anything of it. And they go to camp and they get a bunch of other people sick. And that's a very realistic problem. And then what What do you do? Do you shut the camp down for two weeks? Do you shut the league down for two weeks? Already on an abbreviated schedule, you really can't afford to do that type of thing. So that's going to be a major issue. And then another thing that just came to my mind is going back to when we said, are these guys going to want to be away from their families and everything for that long if you keep them kind of cooped up in these like general villas? More importantly than that, though, a lot of these are young guys. A lot of these are 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old guys, at least for the Empire League. So yeah. I'm not sure if these guys are going to be exactly game for probably not making terribly much in the Empire League, probably a couple hundred bucks a week, being game to say, okay, I got this little bit of money, I'm staying in the villa, I imagine they're going to have to pay something to stay there. I don't imagine the league can afford to you know, rent out this giant space to put their players in. And then right. who's to keep them kind of quarantined in the villa? Who's to say the 23-year-old pitcher who just had a good game and say, well, I'm in Florida. Most of the stuff's open. Yeah, I want to go out to a bar. I want to go out drinking. I want to go onto the beach or something. How are you going yeah, to stop them from doing that? I, yeah. it, it, that's a major issue that you're going to have here. Because, again, the quarantining does absolutely nothing if they just leave and go into the general public again. So that's a major issue you're going to have especially with a bunch of younger guys. Now, I'm sure a lot of them are going to say, look, my goal here is to get tape and get signed to either a major league organization 
or a higher level indie ball team so they don't want to do something stupid and jeopardize that because i assume if you get this you're just going to be released outright i don't imagine team wants to carry a guy for two weeks while they have to quarantine to make sure that they don't have this but still it's something you have to worry about especially if they go out nobody catches them doing that then they go play and then it comes out well now we have two teams that need to entirely quarantine right and yeah i mean and these are just the things and it's just it's the same with both of these these two leagues that we're talking about here the sure league and then the empire league both of them are just there's so many problems with trying to reopen in this point in time that it, it, it there's so many variables but i mean someone's going to do it and try and then the only way to, to see if it'll work is if someone tries it. But I really do have questions as to whether it will be successful if someone does try it. Exactly. That's the major thing here. And I know they did also say that they still are determining the date of their camp. They're looking at late June to start their camp. And then there's also the three possible locations at one, their team's home stadium. So somewhere in uh, really it's mainly upstate New York, Delaware, their usual location or in Florida itself. All of which, again, I'm not really sure if any of them are really the best spot to host this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so, and I mean, we'll see what happens. But I mean, it's 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 a, like like we said last week, it's just kind of a wait and see with it. I mean, it's not <laughs> not something that really can uh, that we can predict one way or the other. But I just don't know. I don't know if the, all those variables can be ironed out in a way that makes everybody safe. I don't know. Uh, that's something that would be very difficult for me to foresee happening. Exactly. And that's the whole another issue we have here is the financial viability of an Empire League. Already they don't draw too many people to a game, I don't think. But with no fans there, I'm not sure how much of a real major difference that makes. I'm not sure how many people would want to go see it. I don't really know you know, what their plan is. I know for Florida they were saying something about using spring training locations as possible fields. Now, again... I'm not sure if that happens. And there's a, there's just so much that has to go into making it work that, like you said, it really is more of a wait and see type thing because there's just so many moving parts and so many elements to this that says it's a bad idea to attempt it or to to do this could end very poorly. And like you said a little bit ago, you only know if it works when it works or when it fails. I mean, that's the only way to find out. And the same thing with the Shore League, you know. The only way to know if it's going to work, if it works. You know, they got to pull the trigger and find out. But uh, I don't know if I would. I would probably, if even if I was these small leagues, I would wait. I wouldn't do it. But that's just me. I mean, I just don't think a risk reward. I mean, you're better off chalking it up to a lost season and trying to save as much as you can. Because if somebody gets sick, it, lo- it opens up legal liabilities. It opens up all of these issues that you just don't want to deal with. It's just a difficult, difficult time to be doing anything like this. 100%. And then we'll jump to the Shore League in just one second here. But it does, the one trend that I think is going to be kind of uh, consistent throughout all these leagues, it's an awful lot that these leagues are fighting this virus, a lot like how a firefighting battalion fights a forest fire, where you almost have to set up a perimeter around acceptable losses and go, we're willing to lose this much of the forest in order to save the rest of it. You have to de- kind of determine where your fire line is going to be. 
I I do wonder for each of these leagues where their fire line is. I know we'll you'll see in a second when we start talking United Shore League that they said we can we're in no danger of folding even if we lose the season. And I imagine if they're fine, then the Frontier League, the American Association, and the Atlantic League will also be fine. Maybe not so much the members, but the leagues themselves will be fine. The Empire League, I also imagine, is a little bit more. The fire line's a lot closer to the fire. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the you're right. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's the same thing we've been talking about with these leaks. It's just, you know, the, the fire line is close to the fire. I mean, what are you willing to, what are you willing to lose? Are you willing to, you know, I mean, one, one way the league could go bankrupt is not playing. Okay, fine. Another way the league can go bankrupt is if it gets sued by a couple of players who get it and transmit it to their families or transmit it to a population. And, you know, the, the league gets sued for having the season in the first place. And they knew these, these risks were involved as, you know, everybody knows the risks were involved. They get sued, done and done. You know, and then the league goes under that way. I mean, so there's, you know, it's just, it's a difficult, difficult situation all the way around. Exactly. That, or they open their gates, they have, they have games played, nobody shows up, and now you have twice as many expenses with not even as much income coming in, and now you're really screwed because you just sped up the fire. So, right. it'll be, it'll be interesting to see at least how the Empire League plays out, because like I said, they're in a much more precarious situation, at least in my mind, for where they're at, but... We'll have to wait and see how that works out. They said they want a late June draft. I believe it was last week in June they had mentioned. So in a month from now, we'll know what way the winds blow for them. But right now, we'll shift to more of a focus on the United Shore League, which while having some similarities to the Empire League, there are a couple of key differences. Uh, Namely, this league is, at least in my mind, a little bit less of a semi-pro league, more closer to a professional league, although I would still kind of Put them at the high end of semi-pro, although I do believe all of their players are paid. Uh, they right. all do pay, they play all their games out of one stadium in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I don't recall exactly where in Michigan it is, but I do know it is in Michigan. There are four teams in the league. It's actually a very nice stadium, and they, they are aiming for a return with fans at one-third capacity, and they're hoping for a mid-June return. In a month from now, we could be talking about actual baseball being played for the United Shore League. Now, (laughs) I see a couple of major issues. Namely, A, if I recall correctly, Michigan's still not in great shape themselves. So I I, I can't imagine them reopening for for baseball here. That's the, the first step. Two, I can't imagine a lot of people being totally game to go sit in a in a baseball stadium and watch you know, the East Side Diamond Hoppers versus the Utica Unicorns or whatever it may be that day playing. I just, I, I see that as a major issue. I see a lot of finances as an issue. Again, they say they're going to keep all their players in dorms at either Oakland or Wayne State Universities. I, again, see that as an issue because, again, you have to make sure they stay on the campus and they don't go out. Plus, there's all the staff and everything. And there seems like so many moving parts here where I'm not sure how realistic a mid-June return is or a return at all is. Right. I mean, and particularly in Michigan, you know, the, we, we can't forget the political angle of it, right? You have uh, a governor who's there and, and has been staunchly against reopening things, you know, and that's been debated whether it's good or bad. 
certainly just the fact of it, not to wade into any political waters, but just the fact of it is that she has been, you know, against opening things up in, in any type of quick way. And so, I, I mean, I don't foresee them all, that all of a sudden pivoting and changing to a point where she's going to allow a entire professional baseball league with fans to occur. I know geographically there's a lot of things like rural Michigan is a, is a lot different or geographically speaking than Detroit, right? I mean, I think population density is a lot different. So obviously I don't know enough about Michigan to know the kind of intricacies like with New Jersey, we clearly can tell you little intricacies county by county even, but in, in Michigan, I, I don't have enough knowledge to know where this stadium is and, and what, you know, is it possible to do it there? I, I don't know. But all I know is that from what I've heard in the national news media anyway, it seems like Michigan is having a tough time deciding the best path forward. And the leadership there necessarily, it does not necessarily in, in a mood like Florida is to very much get things reared up and going and taking a lot of risk on in that way. So. Yeah, I just I don't see them opening up for the reasons like you said. And they are in Metro Detroit. They're a Detroit suburb is where the league is based out of. So I assume it's their COVID is a little bit worse there, seeing as you know major population center in Michigan. I gotta assume they're not doing hot in that area. So the people coming yeah. will probably be a far more high risk population, which means you're putting staff at danger. So now do you have to isolate the staff, which I got to assume they're not going to be game for that. There's, there's so many elements to it and so much working there. And there's, I just, I see as a hard, hard play. They did say they had a 216 page uh, protocol drawn up. I think I made mention of that in the beginning of the episode. And so I don't know exactly what was in it. They send it to the governor's office. So if it's 216 pages, I got to imagine it's rather thorough. And I got to imagine similar to the Saints reopening plan that we saw a couple weeks back. But even still with those precautions put in place, I just don't know how how exactly that's going to to make it more possible. I guess the best way of phrasing it and at the moment. But even still, there's, just an, there's a whole other element. Are these universities going to be game for you using their campus for that? Right, especially because it depends on how long, you know, how long they go for, right? I mean, if, if these leagues go into August and late August, I don't think that uh, Shore League does. I don't know. But, I mean, if leagues go into late August, you know, some of these schools might reopen. And if they if there's, you know, reopening it enough to have baseball players on campus, why can't we have students on campus? So, you know, it, it, it creates a, a difficult situation, I think, all around, like you're saying. Oh, 100%. It definitely creates that situation where you just need it, which looking into the schedule, at least their original planned schedule, it goes into the first week of uh, of September. So you then you have your championship week, uh, like the second week of September, and then it kind of goes from there. So clearly an abbreviated schedule is going to go further into September. So if these universities plan to have in-person fall classes, you can't use those dorms. Plus, right. there's going to have to be so much sanitation that goes into it to full dorm buildings even, which I got to imagine, even if you put them all into one building, it's going to take a full day to clean them. Now, that doesn't sound like much time here, but if you're trying to get as much as you can out of these universities before you find another place to stick these players, then it's going to lose you another day. Plus, yep. you're going to, I figure athletes are probably going to move in sooner. They're probably going to move in, 
I can even see over the summer. It's not unreasonable to expect that. If you have a football team or a fall sport team, you're going to want at least a full month before games start to be, you know, kind of practicing OTAs, things like that. It's going to be hard to swing, at least in my mind, from just logistics. Yeah, I think logistically speaking, it'll just be really difficult. And uh, yeah, I mean, all of this will be difficult. <laughs> and reopening will just be difficult. And I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we talked about this a lot. You know, I, I foresee people trying to reopen and, and them having ser- serious difficulties and unfortunately uh, serious consequences as well. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's only so much that can really be said. Uh, for the reopening things and we've been trying to change it up a little bit over the past few weeks but you know there's only there's only so much that can really be said differently and with the lack of news going around lately you know there's not much else to talk about I mean we could talk about the virtual opening days happening all around but it seems to be following the similar trends for each team you know you host (laughs) several activities online maybe you do some sort of in-person giveaway like St. Paul did uh, then normally, whatever your scheduled first pitch time was, you just replay an old game. So, I yep. mean, like, there's not too much to really talk about how, oh, well, they did, like, a scavenger hunt thing. They did a, you know, word search. They did a color in the picture. They did a couple of Instagram live videos. They right. did, it, it, it's, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's tedious. It's, it's, it's the same thing recycled, yes. Exactly. <laughs> you get what I'm going for. We could shift now to continue to talk about restarting various leagues here, but we're going to take a little bit more of a detour and talk about the the definitely professional indie leagues. Not to say that there's others that aren't, but these are full-on professional. These are the well-known ones. These are the Frontier and the Atlantic League. And we'll start with the Atlantic League, as most of what they say is really just echoed by the Frontier League. Uh, yeah. Only difference is the Frontier League has more doubters in their camp that they're going to be playing this year. Yep. And I was figuring after we go through this, then we could take a couple minutes and kind of discuss how would you reopen? I mean, we talk a lot about why certain plans won't work. So maybe throw our own hat into the ring to reopen. Uh, let's call the Frontier League that league. But yeah, no, I think that, uh, right, this is, you know, the Atlantic League strategy, as we'll see here in a second, is really something that we'll, we'll talk about and say, is there a way to do it? Is there a path to do it at this point? And I think it's interesting when we had Michael Faff on a few weeks ago, actually probably a month ago now. He, he seemed yeah, a little bit... actually almost two months ago now. We interviewed him on April 1st. <laughs> yeah, wow. So, you know, I think he, he really uh, kind of hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, if something happens, it'll be, you know, in, in these ways. And, you know, he was hopeful then and we were more hopeful then, but uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, 100% on that. So let's jump into it. Uh, this was from, I believe, Newsweek was the was the publication for the article. Uh, that and everything we discussed today, all our articles and everything will be linked in the show notes. Uh, but you can find that there. So Faf and Rick White, president of the Atlantic League, they said they were optimistic about baseball this summer. They seem to be about the only people left in indie ball that are really optimistic about it. And uh, they said they do need local government approval in the case of Long Island it's Suffolk County. And they put an emphasis on safety. Uh, they were talking about wiping down baseballs or using two different sets of baseballs. Uh, one for one team, one for another team. And then like we discussed with uh, Faf, which you can go back, I believe now, about four or five episodes and listen to our interview with him. It was very good, very insightful. And, you know, there's going to be various safety precautions put throughout the ballpark. Again, I imagine their specific reopening plan will kind of mimic what St. Paul was doing. A lot of hand sanitizing stations, possibly temperature checks at the door, 
uh, propping open bathroom doors so that way you don't have to touch them to go in and out, possibly limiting the number of people in bathrooms at a time. Uh, they also said that you'd probably see about a third capacity at uh, Atlantic League ballparks, so that would definitely hurt some teams for their attendance, uh, other teams uh, not as badly basically been the same story they're going to limit the number of people in enforce the social distancing and you know the plexiglass shields at all the stands and whatnot limit the amount of people in uh, concession stands and uh, in the gift areas and the bathrooms and the whole nine there i imagine you also won't see uh, guys tossing balls into the stands or signing anything or taking photos I imagine a lot of that fan interaction is going to be cut off, which that's going to be a thing I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent about in just a minute after I allow you to respond here is the kind of ballpark experience that a lot of fans may think they get if the gate reopens and how that may not exactly be what reality is. Yeah, I mean, I think just in terms of 2020, this type of plan that they put forward here is just unrealistic. I mean, you know, especially with fans in the stands. I mean, we can't even, I mean, New Jersey, we're up to what, 25 people. I mean, in yeah. New York city, uh, you know, Coney Island, you can't swim <laughs> on Coney Island. Well, all across, like even Jersey shore, you're not allowed in the water. Oh, really? Is that it? Well, yeah, well, you're allowed on the beach with social distancing, but you're not allowed in the water because supposedly it'll travel further in the water or at least won't be as controllable. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I think you can surf in some beaches. But anyway, the p- point being that, um, you know, it's just it's one of those things where, you know, you're not allowed in the water. I mean, and so there's, you know, it's just it's, it's a difficult uh, situation. And I just think overall, um, it, it, you know, for this to happen, there would be so many different variables that we've talked about that would have to really come together and really come into place right in the the perfect order and even still i mean how many fans in long island uh, in suffolk county are going to be willing to do it will the governor you know allow professional sports to take place in new york i mean that's the other thing that we have to consider here is it safe to do this right i mean you know we've talked about this from the baseball side and the economic side but i mean health wise is it is it just is it safe at this point in time to do this and i mean i haven't seen anything that says yes you know what i mean like yeah no i agree with you i mean you're even seeing the offshoot disease like what's happening to those kids now that supposedly it's like uh what is it kawasaki disease where they got no the blotches and whatnot on them i mean plus how many other diseases are like that are going to stem off of this that's only we don't know like that's the thing like the people that have the best information are probably the chinese scientists and doctors who have been dealing with this since december they had the best information and presumably knowing china that information really isn't going to get out of uh well out of china so then the next best source is probably going to be italy and they've only been dealing with this since about january february so it's way too soon to really know any sort of long-term effects, any sort of branching effects, what a more common disease can do when it meshes with this COVID disease. I mean, just think of it like this. Let's say you, things reopen. You already had the COVID. You're walking around the woods. It's one of the few things that's really open, I think, pretty universally at this point is walking around state parks and whatnot. And let's say you get bit by a tick, you get Lyme disease. Lyme disease already, pretty terrible disease to have, but you know, it's treatable. It's not a death sentence. We don't know how getting Lyme disease mixes with COVID. We don't know how COVID mixes with other things. There's so many unknown and unknown variables here 
that who's to say when everything's all safe and good? And obviously, there's going to be a certain point in time where we've just reached a breaking point. We have to kind of throw caution to the wind a bit. But I don't think we're at that point yet. And I think we're still a far ways off there. And I think if we're too cavalier about this and just say, okay, open the gates, let's get all the fans in here, let's make sure something's being done, let's make sure baseball's being played, I think that's a, that's a little too cavalier and we're going to see the results of that play out in a less than favorable way for a lot of people. I agree with that, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think it's the same thing goes with the Frontier League. I mean, you open up, especially with the Frontier League, you have so many different teams in so many different regions that it's just, you know, it's just we've talked about it so many times. It just doesn't doesn't make any feasible sense. I mean, they could say whatever they want, and they could say that this is going to happen and this is going to happen. But if we're talking about no fans in MLB games, right, when they can really socially distance in those stadiums and let in, just a really, you know, certain number of fans. And if we're talking about no fans in MLB games, then why would they? I mean, there's probably not going to be a minor league season. How is it going to be a? How would we have an independent league season without a minor league season? That just doesn't make any sense to me. It, it doesn't make any sense to me either. I just don't. I think there's. I think if this would have hit a couple months earlier, we'd have a much different discussion on our hands right now. But I just don't see any way this really becomes a tenable situation till. Maybe mid-July at best is when you could realistically start talking about training camps and stuff. I know I've heard whispers of Atlantic League possibly doing a mid-June, late-June training camp. I've heard whispers of the same true for the Frontier League. Obviously, the the Empire League came out and said that much. Uh, it's I just don't see how that's going to work. And already another fact you have to kind of keep in mind here: if the Major League Baseball players union saying we're not going out there and playing for the terms you lay out here because it's too dangerous still why would the independent leagues do that when yeah they have less of a, a safety net they have less of a security blanket there but at the same time they're not going to have the same level of disinfection there's not going to have the same kind of protections put in place just because the league's a, can't afford to do it, and B, they don't have the resources to do it. So that's, I, right. I, yeah. that's just a whole other thing. And it's not a knock against these leagues. It's just you can't compete with a billion-dollar-plus worth organizations. You just can't do it. It's not It's not feasible. So no. it, there's just so many elements that go into this. There are. And, you know, and, and as to the, the, the how would I reopen, hmm. uh, I would take the protocols that we have, that we're talking about for this year hmm. and I'd put them in 2021 <laughs> and I'd reassess and I'd see if they're necessary in 2021. I mean, I would, I just wouldn't do the season because I mean, as much as that will hurt so many people and I know economically that's just terrible. You know, if, if the league gets sued because they decided to put, take the liability on to put teams and players and staff and fans into this line of fire, you know, it just, it, to me, it just doesn't seem like, you know, it's a responsible thing to do because it's not like experts are saying, oh, well, you know, this disease is not that transmissible. You know, not too many people are getting it. I mean, this is probably one of the most communicable diseases in human history. I mean, so we're dealing with something that is, you know, one of the most contagious things we've ever seen. And so to be like, yeah, it'll be fine is, you know, not necessarily the right uh, approach to take in my book anyway. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I see people saying, oh, well, the CDC is saying it's not as spreadable in surfaces now. Well, that's great. 
that doesn't really solve the problem because there's still a lot of people involved and it's still very communicable, like you're saying. It's easily spread through the air. So even if everybody's wearing a mask, which having gone out a little bit now and starting to, you know, go out a little bit more, seeing how many people are grumbling and moaning about having to wear a mask in public is amazing. So I have a very, very difficult time believing that people are going to go to the ballpark and A, be cool with all of the safety precautions and social distancing precautions that are already in place and B, actually obeying them for the whole length of time. I have a very, very difficult time seeing someone leave a mask on for, you know, a nine inning long game. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't see that happening either. I mean, I think, you know, you've got this very difficult thing where, you know, if, if teams really want to, uh, you know, reopen, leagues really want to reopen, you know, you, you're dealing with people being, you know, like you said, following these rules. And, you know, I, I mean, I've been out walking on trails and been outside a lot lately. And, you know, there's just not been a lot of people who wear masks, especially outside. Especially in a ballpark, they're going to think, oh, it's open air, I don't need to. And really, that just is the issue. <laughs> People are just not going to do it. And then there will be serious ramifications for that for everyone involved, health-wise, financially. I mean, just you name it. Exactly. It's going to be such uh, such an ongoing issue with that. It's going to be an uphill battle. And that's not to mention, I mean, we know just from going to a bunch of games, I'm sure a lot of people that go to a lot of games know that already it's hard to get, you know, littler kids, you know, really think 10 and younger, to sit still for a whole nine-inning game. You're going to expect for them to sit still for a nine-inning game with more social precautions. They're not going to be running up and down these empty rows of people, just violating the social distancing. Really? That Like, that's just an element that you have to expect there. It may seem minor, but all it takes is for one person to have it and then to spread it. That's, that's the thing. People don't, I don't think that a lot of people understand the true domino effect that this has. It just takes one to not follow the rules for everybody else to be kind of screwed on this. So I just don't see that happening. And I, I'm going to agree with you on your reopening plan where you just take a lot of these precautions and move them to 2021. Uh, yeah. Although I will say, just to kind of to keep in the spirit of the question, if I were, if I were to have my, you know, a gun to my head and say, figure out a plan for 2022, not playing is not an option. I say, yeah. well, A, that's, you're courting disaster. But if I have to, <clears throat> I would say I would limit it to even less than a third capacity. I would say maybe 20%, 25 max. Yeah. I would say no more than, X amount of people per section. It would depend how many people you have in each uh, kind of section, how many people can be sat in that. I would say if you live in the same household or arrived in the same vehicle, then you can sit together. If not, you have to socially distance. I would go at least five seats in between a person, uh, just for the, just to make sure you're good and then go, uh, one row of people, two rows empty, one row of people, two rows empty. Really go overboard on it. I would say, say, I understand you have to have six, six feet in between people, at least in lines and in general. I would up that to eight or 10 feet. I know I'm really hurting capacity here, but I really, really, really don't want people to get it. Uh, then again, I would limit the amount of people allowed in, uh, in the bathrooms at a time. I would even consider doing maybe like, oh, an order from your phone, like, if the team had a mobile app, 
be able to order food from your phone and have it delivered to your seat to even kind of cut down even more on uh, concession lines. I would just straight up not open the gift shop. I'd have a couple of little uh, kind of stands throughout the concourse. Uh, similar to like what you see at Somerset. I know they have that, that little stand thing outside of their gift shop. So something like that. Put them on like the far ends of each uh, each side of the field. Then the, the another issue you're going to have is too when people go to leave. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, the issue is what, what do you do when people leave? What do you do when people come? What do you do when people are annoyed during the game and they want to get up and go for a walk? What do you do when, you know, like you said, the children want to go run around and gallivant around the park? I mean, there are so uh, so many variables that deal. I mean, you are there to interact with others. I mean, you are there as much to interact with the the rest of the fans at the game and the players and the coaches as you are and the staff that are at the game. And then you are right. You are out in public, right? And this is especially in these type of settings, sports teams. This these are public venues. This is where you're out. This is what you were doing. Um, and so it's not like you can really make this a solitary thing right it's not, not a walk in the woods it's a very much i mean it's an open air thing but it, the point is to congregate together to be together that's the point of these games you know to try to make it less of a congregating thing is is difficult and something that i i don't know if would i mean even all with all of those things said and done i don't i still don't know if, if people would be safe you know what i mean like yeah going parking lot you know uh, how close do you get when you're walking out walking in how do you keep people six to eight feet apart then when people say uh you know i don't care about the rules anymore yeah that's I'm about not- i was about to say that same thing you're this is all predicated on people following the rules and the rules being enforced which yeah. again puts you in a really tricky spot because if you're in independent league baseball you can't really afford to be kind of an ass to fans you just can't afford if you're the yankees if you're the mets if you're the red sox if you have one guy or two guys or even 20 guys leave the ballpark all grumbly and annoyed not ideal but it's not bad it's not a terrible situation there's 20 more to replace them 40 more to replace them in independent league baseball every fan counts a lot more so you can't leave them all grumbly and annoyed but at the same time you gotta go okay i can't let him break the rules because then it basically means the rules don't exist if the rules aren't enforced then they're not rules they're they're just we'd appreciate if you did this and that's a major issue you have it is a major issue and i just think overall you know the you know people aren't even following wear a mask in the store you know like people aren't following the most basic of these social distancing rules stay six feet follow the arrows in walmart where you're supposed to walk and wear a mask in the store. If people aren't following those rules, why are they going to follow these really elaborate rules of sitting six feet apart? I mean, they're going to go, they're going to see their buddy at the game. They're going to say, ah, whatever, I'm going to go sit by him. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just, it doesn't work. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of issues with people just not caring about these rules and, and not seeing the use in them. Uh, and, and, you know, you can debate whether or not some of these regulations really are necessary. And, and I believe they might, they are, uh, some people don't, and, and that's okay. But I mean, it's, it's not okay in a sense where it, it, it's dealing with people's health in this way, because it is such a, uh, open environment where you have so many people together. It's a different thing if it's in Walmart and someone gets a little too close to you. Okay, that's annoying, but you can move away or whatever. But if you're in a ballpark with a lot of people and a lot of people aren't following the rules, it's a very different type of scenario. 
Exactly. Because then if one person's not following the rules, then someone feels obligated to break them so that way they could still kind of be following them, even if they're not technically following them. And then that rinse and repeat a dozen times over, then the rules aren't being followed. And I hate to keep harping on the exiting the ballpark part here, but I feel like that would be the hardest part to enforce. Everything else, yeah. it's very difficult. Don't get me wrong, but it's a lot more doable. But when the game's over, you no longer have any sort of leverage over these people to say, we'll throw you out. We won't allow you back. They're already leaving. What do they care is really right. the issue. And so if you go, all right, so if you have a ticket from section AA to section FF, you can exit the ballpark now. Do so in a socially distant manner. Why, yeah. if I'm in section GG, am I going to say, I don't care. I'm just, I want to leave now. I'm just going to get up and leave. What are they going to do? It's the same thing with buying a ticket for one part of the ballpark and sitting closer to the field. They're not going to care, nor are they going to enforce it, because it's just not enforceable. It's too much effort to do so, and that's going to be a major issue. And there's there's two other topics that I do want to press on just quickly. Uh, I saw Windy City sent out a tweet yesterday saying that they have... Uh, made it so that all their June home games will not have fans and that they'll be doing something to uh, compensate those that purchase tickets for those games, which would imply that there will be games played in June. I don't think that was the exact desired goal. They didn't clarify that at all. I know I retweeted it and then posted something on Instagram about it. I think what they what they meant was we're not officially canceling these games yet, until we have to. When we're ordered to cancel the games, we will cancel them. But until then, we don't want to because it causes a lot of ripple effects on the business end to cancel them. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, teams are going to have to do weird things like that now to try to figure it out. And I think there's a hard, a lot of hard distinctions to be made there. Yeah. So that was the first thing I want to say there. I It was a bit uh, confusing and I did get a little glimmer of hope at first, but when you just walk through it logically, it doesn't, it really doesn't make much sense. If they're going to play without fans. They would have opened on time. They wouldn't have done uh, what they did. But right. So that that's first off. And then second, uh, there, there is one thing I wanted to go on because I did mention at the beginning of this section, I wanted to go on a rant about ballpark experience. And I don't think I've quite adequately done this. We talked a lot about the kind of social distancing and safety precautions that would be put in place at the ballpark. But I think a lot of fans think, oh, well, sure, we'll have to sit kind of far apart. Maybe we'll have to wear a mask. Maybe we can have the temperature checked at, uh, at the door. But it's going to be a lot different of an experience than you're used to if you go to these games. Oh, yeah. Like, that's something I think a lot of people have to understand here that I don't think a lot of fans truly understand. I think a lot of them think, oh, well, there'll be some slight modifications, but we'll still have the in-between innings kind of uh, entertainment, you know, the bring the person up on the dugout, do the burger flip if you're at the uh, Jackals game, do the in-between inning trivia, maybe do some on-the-field race thing or the sumo thing, throw the balls into the stands, take the picture, sign the autographs, and the reality is none of that's going to happen. There'll still be in-between in, in, in inning entertainment, but it's just not going to be anything like that. It's going to yeah. be a much different kind of, and I hate to use the word bland, but it's going to be a very bland, a very vanilla type experience where you're just not going to be able to do those things that you did in the past 
because of the social distancing, because if they do it and you get sick, then there's a very real chance they could get sued rightfully or wrongfully for negligence. And that's something that's very scary to them because, let's be honest, one lawsuit could probably tank most of these teams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the team that can get sued. It's the leagues. It's even even individual coaches and players that can get sued. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, anybody can sue anybody. And there's really very, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean it'll be a successful lawsuit, but there's a lot of legal things we don't know yet about uh, the coronavirus. So this is, there's certainly a lot of things. And yeah, I think the overall experience at a ballpark would be so much different than it has been uh, ever before, really. And so I think it's just going to be a, a change for all of uh, independent league fans and really everybody um, to try to adapt to these new rules whenever they are in play, if they are ever in play. I mean, hopefully by 2021, you know, we'll have some type of a vaccine or some type of a treatment for this. And then, you don't you don't have to worry about it. But certainly, I think, you know, <laughs> if games are getting played this season. It's going to be a very difficult, difficult road to go. Exactly. And that that's just the it's just the nature of the beast with it. Where you just kind of got to take it slow, you got to take it safe, and you got to change up the game plan here. And and that's just something else that came to my mind, which I'm going to touch on quickly before we wrap it up here. Because we actually managed to get some decent mileage out of this show. I'm surprised it went this long. Yeah. Regardless, the thing that kind of comes to my mind is, I wonder, as a team, when you open your doors in with a COVID season, if you would, how concerned are you? about that fan experience and how much that may be off-putting to some fans. Obviously, you want people in the ballpark because any sort of money coming in from gate revenue is going to be better than nothing. If you're assuming right now is the worst-case scenario, that opening with even a third capacity is a lot better because at least you're not losing as much money, I would wonder how concerned you may be that someone comes to, let's just use the Ducks for an example. They come to a Ducks game that's normally known for being a really fun environment, a good night out at a fair price. And they go to these games and it's a lot different from what they expected. There's not the ball toss at the end. There's not the the in-between innings giveaways. There's not the on-field entertainment. There's the yeah, distance I mean- and all that. I wonder how much it's going to be off-putting, not necessarily to the fans that are used to that, kind of environment that then that no normal ducks game is like and that they're obviously making exceptions because of this but for the first time fan that's like oh look a, ba- a baseball game is something to do it's different from what we've been doing let's go to that you know yeah i mean i think it will be off-putting i just like i said i don't i mean i just don't see there's any way that a season can happen right so i mean these questions are, are fun hypotheticals but i just don't i mean i just don't foresee a season happening at all i mean and i think that that's a good reason to not Right. Like you're going to attract fans to a ballpark and it's going to be a completely bland, like you said, experience. And it may be an experience where people don't want to keep foul balls, where there's not the same type of atmosphere as there would be in a typical night, you know, a night for baseball in Long Island or in Somerset or anywhere else, really. So, I mean, I think experiences, as we've talked about on the show before, much of what independent league baseball is all about. And right now, I mean, it's going to be impacted. There's no doubt. 100%. 100%. And that's just something that that's going to be a problem going forward. And uh, hopefully they figure it out. And that's actually assuming that you could keep foul balls. Who knows? Maybe they'll say, you know, foul balls don't touch them because it's Corona. But who knows? Every, there's nothing that's going to be the same 
for a little bit here. There's going to be some time here where things are just going to be totally different and we're just going to have to accept it as a new normal for a little bit as much as people don't want to do that. So uh, yep. I think as we kind of ramp up this topic, do you have anything you want to just kind of say in summary of all the reopening stuff here? I'm sure we'll talk about it again possibly next week, but definitely going forward here. But uh, just kind of wrapping up our discussion today, if there's anything you want to add. Yeah, no, I mean, just to, you know, same thing we're going to, we've said before and we'll say again, it's going to be difficult to reopen and, you know, we'll keep an eye on it and we'll keep everybody updated moving forward. And that's all we can do at this point. Exactly. And I think uh, the only thing I really want to add is I think now we're starting to see the effect that not following the rules and not following the doctor's recommendations are having. We knew beforehand that it was going to be bad. But I think moving forward, we're going to see all the stuff that was lost by not following those orders and by, well, being the one that says, I don't want to do this. I want to be doing it the way I always did it. I think we're going to see the ramifications of that come home to roost. So I think I'm just going to add, follow the doctor's instructions. The more you follow the doctor's instructions, the sooner we can all be done with this. Don't be the one kid in class that gets the rest of the class banned from recess. You know, yep. because this, no doubt. because the best way of describing how this thing spreads is think back to when you're basically in any sort of school and you had that one kid in class whose either parents wouldn't let him stay home or didn't want to stay home for whatever reason. And they came to school sick as a dog. You knew within the next two weeks there would be a, at least half the class that would be out sick with either the flu or a cold or something. It's the same basic principle here. Only difference is, this isn't the flu, this isn't the cold, this is if you get it and it's bad, you can die, or at the very least, be on a ventilator and be near dead. Yep, so, that's true. Yep. So, no same doubt. thing applies here, so I just want to make that clear, to follow the instructions of doctors, they know what they're doing better than anybody else, as they spent the better part of their lives studying disease and how to treat it. And if anyone's going to figure it out, it's going to be the doctors that figure it out. So, yep. No, yeah, absolutely. That's true. No doubt. Echo that sentiment as well. So with that said, I think it is fair now to move on to our plugs and kind of wrap up the episode. You can find the show anywhere you can really find podcasts, uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, like I said, and really any major podcatcher, you can find the show there. You can find the show notes and the links to anything that we talked about in today's show, uh, any articles, reference, any tweets, any social media posts, all that in the show notes, which can be found on our website, uh, IndieBallReport.com. You could just search IndieBallReport into Google or Bing or your preferred search engine, and it'll come right up. You'll also find uh, YouTube videos we've done in the past, some graphic design work, uh, ways to contact us, as well as some articles that we've written or collaborate with others on. Other ways you can contact us is on social media. So you can contact us on Twitter at IndieBallPod or on Instagram at IndieBallReport and IndieBallReportJames. You can find us there, post a lot of stuff on all of those accounts, so be sure to follow them to stay up to date with the show. Uh, likewise, you can follow the YouTube channel as well, IndieBallReportPodcast on YouTube. So that's all we have for you. Uh, you have anything else left to add? Nope, nothing else to add. All right. Once again, thanks to everybody that's helping out fighting the disease. And hopefully we can all go back to our normal lives sooner than later. 
But again, just follow the orders of the doctor so we can get back to that point. And as always, you know the drill. Until next time, don't forget to play ball.